So if you got a Bible, let me encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible that you can turn to, you can find it on your tablet, you can find it on your cell phone. But let me encourage you, if you haven't been bringing it, always bring a Bible with you when we come together to worship. Because one of the things that we do every single Sunday morning is we spend time in God's Word. Now, if you don't know where 1 Kings is, it's about a quarter of a way through the Bible. So 1 Kings. We're going to be focusing on Elijah today. Elijah is one of the heroes of the faith. Now, I discovered something this past week. I discovered that if you don't want life to be overwhelming, don't preach a sermon on being overwhelmed. <laughs> because if ever you preach on being overwhelmed, things are going to be overwhelming. And so this past Sunday night, I was sitting at the house in my chair just enjoying life about 6.30. I'd called my mom about 2 o'clock to check on them, and she said my dad was still in bed. Now, understand my dad had been a preacher for over 40 years, for 45 years. And so for him to be in bed on a, on a Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock was a little unusual. And so we talked for a while, and I got off the phone and went home. And at 6.30, my mom called me, and she said, Hey, we're at Shawnee's, and we're getting a bite to eat. Can you talk for a minute? I said, Sure, we can talk. What's going on? And she said, Well, something's wrong with your dad. I, I don't think he's seeing clearly. And I asked her, why do you say that? And she began to tell me some things that were happening, how he was bumping into some things, and she was having to lead him, some other things like that. And I asked her, I said, does he have a headache? And she asked him there in Shawnee's, are you having a headache? And he said, yes. And I said, Mom, get him to the emergency room right now and let them check him out. And um, fortunately, there was somebody in the Shoneys there in Hartsville that had gone to the church that he had pastored for 35 years, and they followed them to the emergency room. Um, Sherry wasn't at home at that time. She came home immediately. We got in our car, and we drove to Hartsville. And when we got there, he was in the emergency room in the back. We went in the back. And they had already done a CAT scan. They had already done a consult with a, a neurologist at MUSC in Charleston. And they discovered that he had had an acute stroke on the back right side of his brain. And one of the things that that stroke affected was his sight in his left eye. He wasn't seeing out of his left eye. But that stroke also made him very, very confused. He was struggling with confusion and remembering things and, and all of that. And so I stayed in the hospital that night and and got very little sleep because my dad was getting up about every five minutes or ten minutes, as you can imagine, with him, with him being confused. And, and this week has been a blur because I've been back and forth to Hartsville almost every single day. And because of those events, those circumstances that happened last Sunday night, we've had to make some life-altering changes for my mom and dad. But let me say to you that even though these life-altering changes that have been made are overwhelming, and even though the situation and circumstances that have affected them through the stroke is overwhelming, though they have been overwhelmed at times, they have not stayed overwhelmed. They have trusted in Jesus. And I got to tell you, I am so proud of them. Now, here's what you need to understand. Good people, even godly people, can be overwhelmed. 
Do you hear me? Sometimes we can think because we misunderstand things that if we love Jesus, if we're a good person, if we're a godly person, then we're never going to be overwhelmed. But good people and even godly people can be overwhelmed. We see this in life and we see this in the Bible. Now, before we go any further, I want to clarify something that I said last week. We, we were looking at Colossians chapter 3, and, and I shared with you last week four reasons that we can be overwhelmed. And, and I think that sometimes we get confused on what it means to be overwhelmed. And so let me just say that being overwhelmed is not clinical depression. That's what I'm, not what I'm talking about. Clinical depression is different than being overwhelmed. I'm not talking about a chemical imbalance. A chemical imbalance is altogether different. When I talk about being overwhelmed, I'm talking about allowing the situations and the circumstances that we face in life to overwhelm us. And as followers of Jesus, even though life can be overwhelming, we don't have to remain overwhelmed. You see, the Bible says that we can have the peace of God that passes our ability to understand. And the Bible goes on to say that that peace will guard our hearts, and our minds because we are in Christ Jesus. So understand, even though life can be overwhelming, we don't have to stay overwhelmed because God's peace, that's not like the peace that this world gives, is totally different, it's supernatural. That peace can guard our hearts and that peace can guard our minds because we're in Christ Jesus. Now let's get back to Elijah. Elijah's name means Yahweh is my God. And if there's, there's ever been anyone whose name matched their character, the way they lived, it was Elijah. He is considered by many to be the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. His name is mentioned 30 times in the New Testament. It was Elijah and Moses who were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And many people, including myself, believe that those two witnesses that appear at the end of time in Revelation chapter 11, one of those witnesses is Elijah. Now, Elijah's story is found in 1 Kings chapter 17 through 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us much about Elijah, much about his background. It tells us that he came out of nowhere and he confronted Ahab, who was the wicked king of Israel. We are told in 1 Kings 16, verse 33, that Ahab was more evil than any other king in Israel. Now, let me tell you what. That's a statement because there were a lot of wicked kings throughout Israel's history. And yet the Bible says that Ahab was the worst of them all. He was married to a pagan woman. Her name was, Je was Jezebel, and she worshipped a pagan god named Baal. And because she worshipped Baal, Ahab started worshipping Baal, and he got the people of Israel to worship Baal. And they built altars all around the country of Israel to Baal, this false god. Now, what you need to understand about Baal worship is it was not only vile, it was not only vulgar, it was a violent religion. 
And so when Ahab appeared before Elijah, or Elijah appeared before Ahab, he told him, it's not going to rain, or the dew isn't going to even fall on the ground for several years. And after he told Ahab that, Elijah disappeared. He went into hiding. He went into hiding, first of all, in the wilderness. And the Bible tells us, this is crazy, the Bible tells us that Elijah was fed by ravens. We are told that ravens brought Elijah water and meat in the morning and the evening. You know, we can go on our phone and we can order food. I don't think we can get a raven to bring us food. And so he, was, he had this food brought to him by these ravens. And then he went to another part of the country and he lived with a widow and her son. And as he lived with them, God supernaturally continued to provide for all their needs, even raising the widow's son back to life after he had died. I mean, God was showing up in amazing ways in Elijah's life. After about three years, Elijah came out of hiding, and he called the prophets of Baal out to a duel kind of like the old westerns, you know, except they weren't going to have six guns. They were going to ask their gods to do miracles. And so they met on Mount Carmel. And when they met on Mount Carmel, here's Elijah, and here's 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who were gathered there, one prophet of God against 850 prophets of these false gods. And then Elijah invited all the people of Israel to come and watch. So understand, here's Elijah, here's 850 false prophets, here's all of the people of Israel watching this showdown that is about to take place. And as the people of Israel are gathered around Mount Carmel, this is what Elijah says to them. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. In other words, make up your mind. Because the people of Israel were now worshiping Baal. They were following Baal, but they were still holding on to worship of Jehovah, Yahweh, the one true God. And, and Elijah said, you can't do that. You, you can't continue to worship Baal and worship God. But then after Elijah said that, it says, the people said nothing. Now, may I say to you, that's what so many people do today. We want to live between two worlds. We want to worship the gods of this world, and we want to worship the one true God. But we cannot do that. The Bible says over and over throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, if I am God, then follow me. Jesus said no one can serve two masters. And so he challenged these prophets of Baal to this contest. He said we're going to build an altar, and we're going to put an animal on the altar, and we're going to call down to our God. And if our God brings fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice, then we and all the people will know that he is the one true God. And then... Elijah let the prophets of Baal go first. And so they had their altar there, and they put their sacrifice there. And from morning until noon, 
they began to call out to Baal, but Baal didn't answer. No fire came down from heaven. And so Elijah began to taunt them. He said, is your God asleep? Is he just not listening? Perhaps he's gone on a vacation somewhere. Why isn't your God answering? And so the prophets of Baal turned it up a notch. They began dancing more rigorously. They began to shout louder. They even began to cut themselves with swords and spears. But still, Baal did nothing. Fire didn't fall from heaven. Now here's what you need to understand. Satan has power. Could Satan have brought fire down to consume that offering? I believe he could have. I believe he could have done it some way. But God would not let him. You see, God is always more powerful than false gods, than any other god. And so they never could get Baal to consume their sacrifice. And so now it's Elijah's turn. But Elijah did something strange. First of all, he had to rebuild the altar because the altar to God was in ruins, the Bible says. Now, there's an important truth there. You see, whenever our personal altars are in ruins, we are in danger of being seduced by false gods. Let me say that again. You need to hear this. Whenever our personal altars are in ruins, we are in danger of being seduced by false gods. Then you say, Rocky, what are you talking about? Our personal altar, our personal time with God, our, our prayer time, our devotional time when we are in the Word of God, when you allow your personal time with God to get in ruins, you're not doing it consistently and efficiently and effectively. Listen to me. You are in danger of being seduced by every wind and wave that the world brings into our life. And so he rebuilt the altar. And then he did something else. He dug a trench around the altar. And then he did something else. He got them to bring four big jugs of water. Now remember, it hadn't rained by this time in over three years, three and a half years. Water was scarce. But Elijah got them to bring um, three jugs of water. They took those jugs and they poured it on the altar and on the bull, the wood, the bull, and everything. Then he got them to fill those jugs up three more times, and he poured the water on it until the water had soaked the wood, it had soaked the bull, and the water had filled the trench. And so Baal, Baal couldn't consume that sacrifice when the wood was dry. And yet here's Elijah said, I'm going to wet the wood. I'm going to soak the wood. And I'm going to show you that our God is the one true God. Then Elijah prayed this. He said, Lord, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. And fire came down from heaven and consumed that sacrifice. Then Elijah commanded that, that the people kill all the prophets of Baal. And they slaughtered all 850 of them. It was then that after three and a half years that Elijah said to Ahab, this wicked king, get ready, you're about to see some rain. And Elijah climbed up to the top of Mount Carmel. He took his servant with him, 
and he got down and he began to pray. And he asked his servant to look to the sea. Do you see anything coming? And his servant said, no. And, and he prayed seven more times. And each time the servant would say no until finally the servant says, it looks like, it looks like a small hand coming up out of the water coming toward us. The small hand got bigger and bigger. The rain was coming. And so Ahab got in his chariot and began heading back into town to tell Jezebel what was taking place. But Elijah was so filled with the Spirit that he ran ahead of the chariot to where they were going. By the time they got there, it was pouring down rain. Now here's what you would think. Here's what I would think at least. I would think that, that if Elijah had defeated all 850 of my prophets, if Elijah prayed and it didn't rain, and then Elijah prayed and it did rain, I would, I would think, you know, this Elijah, he's got something going on with this God. The God that he's worshiping must be the one true God. But Ahab and Jezebel didn't think that. They didn't care anything about the rain or what else had happened. Jezebel said, because Elijah had killed her prophets, Jezebel said, by this time tomorrow, Elijah will be dead or I'm dying. Jezebel wanted Elijah dead. And so here's Elijah, the prophet of God, the greatest Old Testament prophet, one of the greatest men in the Bible. You know what he did? The Bible says that he got afraid and he fled. Now think about that for a moment. Here's Elijah. He prayed, and it didn't rain for three years. He went and hid in the wilderness, and what did God do? God ordered takeout for him. And the ravens brought him water to drink and meat to eat. And then God provided for him and for a widow and the widow's son as he lived there with him. And then God consumed the sacrifice that he had prayed for. And then God allowed him to have the strength to slaughter these 850 false prophets. I mean, I would think, I would think that if I was Elijah, I would be thinking nothing can happen to me. I'm invincible because my God is invincible. But here's Elijah. The Bible says that he was afraid and fled for his life. This is Elijah. He had seen miracle after miracle. He had seen God's power up close and personal. If anyone knew that God could take care of them, it should have been Elijah. But here he was. He was afraid, and he fled for his life. He allowed his situation and his circumstances to get the best of him, and he did what most of us would do. He became overwhelmed. Elijah, the man of God, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, became overwhelmed. He became overcome with fear. But do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, fear not. In some form or fashion, that phrase, fear not, is found over 365 times. One time for at least every day of the year. It's as if every day of the year, God's saying, don't be afraid. Trust me. Fear not. I'm on my throne. Don't let this overwhelm you. 
I've got it. And yet, even though God constantly reminds us of this, it seems like, like Elijah, we let our situations and our circumstances overwhelm us. And God says, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't be afraid, I'm watching over you. Don't be afraid, I'll take care of you. Don't be afraid, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Don't be afraid because it doesn't matter who's against you because I am for you. Don't be afraid, don't live in fear, don't be overwhelmed, but we do. We all do. There are times that we forget what God has done. And there are other times that we forget what God can do. And we forget that he cares for us. And we get overwhelmed. You see, the truth is, it's not if we're going to get overwhelmed. But rather, what do we do when we get overwhelmed? You see, being overwhelmed is a feeling that comes upon us. But when that feeling comes upon us, what are we going to do? And so this week, as I was reading through 1 Kings 19, I saw, aha, this is what you do to overcome being overwhelmed. And so regardless of what you're facing, regardless of where you're at, regardless of what the enemy may look like for you, I'm here to tell you, if you do what Elijah did, you can overcome being overwhelmed and you can go on with life and do what God's called you to do. So what do we need to do? First of all, here's the first thing. You need to unplug. You need to disconnect. You need to get away. Listen to what it says beginning in verse 3. Elijah was afraid. He fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Now notice what he did. The first thing he did was he left Israel and went to Judah. He left the area. And then he left his servant in Beersheba and went on alone into the wilderness. And then when he got in the wilderness, the Bible says that he found a solitary place. Now, there are some that say that Elijah was wrong for leaving his servant behind, but I want you to know that each and every one of us need alone time. Let me say that again. No matter who you are, you need alone time. You need to schedule time to get away from it all, everything and everyone, I love my wife. I want to spend a long life with her. But there are times I need to get away from her. And you can rest assured if you ask her, she's going to say there are times that I need to get away from him. You see, we all need a long time now you may ask why and here's the reason if we don't get alone we're going to be hearing and listening to all the voices around us the celebrity voices the family voices the news voices the work voices all the voices 
And there are times that we need to get alone and away to the point that the only voice we can hear is the one that we need to hear, and that's God's. Can I get a witness? You see, we needed to get away from it all so that we can't hear anything but God. Now, the biblical word for that is meditation. And the only time that we can ever truly meditate is when we're away from every other distraction, every other noise that there may be. You see, we can never clear our minds from the clutter that overwhelms until we get out of the earshot of the clutter that overwhelms. We've got to get away from the clutter that's in our mind if our mind's going to be clear enough to hear from God. Now listen, I'm not talking about vacation. We all need vacations, but that's not what I'm talking about. This is different. This is when we get away from it all so that we can hear from the one who is our all in all. You see, when we unplug, we don't take our phone, we don't have a TV, we don't take our family, we don't take our friends. It's only us and God. You see, the purpose of getting away from everything, the hustle and the bustle, the daily grind, is so that the only voice we can hear is God's. And so I challenge you, unplug. Schedule time in your calendar to get away, to unplug, to disconnect. It doesn't have to be a week. It doesn't have to be a weekend. It can be a day. It can be a morning. But I'm here to tell you that if you don't unplug from this life, then the static interference that comes from this life is going to so fill your mind that you're not going to be able to clearly hear from God. And the problem is you're going to have a hard time discerning what is God and what is the world. And so you've got to disconnect, unplug, get away, go to a quiet place. You can't have your phone, you can't have your TV, you can't have your spouse, you can't have anything but your Bible and God. Unplug. Next, we need to refuel. We need to replenish. We need to get recharged. Listen to what it says in verse 5 and following. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank, and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead of you will be too much. So, so this passage is saying that Elijah lay down, he slept, he got up and ate. He lay down and slept, and he got up and he ate. Everybody and everybody needs fuel and rest to operate at the level that God wants us to operate. Did you hear me? Everybody and every body needs fuel and needs rest 
if we're going to be able to operate at the level God created us to operate. From the opening chapters of the Bible to the end, we are given clear guidelines on eating and resting. God even gave us an entire day called the Sabbath where we are to refuel. We are to rest. And yet we have taken this day and we have so filled it with everything that we're disobeying God. And we wonder why we're tired. We wonder why we can't think clearly. We wonder why we feel so blah. Well, maybe it's because we're breaking God's word. So, so we need that. We need that day. We need that rest each night. We, we need the right food to eat. And so let me ask you, what are you putting in your body? Are you eating the right kinds of food? Or are you getting the right amount of food? So I was in Hartsville Sunday night, stayed at the um, hospital, got up Monday morning at 6 o'clock because Sherry is with us, with me, drove back here, uh, took a shower in Lexington, packed some clothes, and went back went back to the hospital, stayed at the hospital until Wednesday morning because I already had a doctor's appointment Wednesday morning. So I went to my doctor, and um, he was doing some tests on me. One of the tests that he wanted to do was an EKG. I had one done several years earlier, and he wanted to do another one, so he did another one. And after he did the EKG, he came in the room, was talking to me, he said, I'm a little concerned about this. I said, concerned about what? Concerned about this EKG. I said, well, what concerns you? He says, well, it looks like sometime in the past you had a heart attack. I went, what? He said, well, I could be wrong, and these tests can make mistakes, but it looks like you had a heart attack. I said, well, that stinks. And so I text my wife, and I shouldn't have done this. Text my wife and said, you won't believe this. I mean, because a couple of years ago, I, I, you know, I had this knee redone. I tore this ACL. And I was having some problems with my left knee. So I went to the, you know, the orthopedic surgeon and had an MRI done on my knee. And he said, when did you mess up that knee? I said, I didn't know I did. He said, well, you don't have an ACL in your left knee. It's gone. When did you tear it? Well, I have no clue. And so I texted my wife and said, you know, I tore my ACL and didn't even know it. I, doctor said I may have a heart attack. I didn't even know it. Goodness gracious, I'm afraid that I'm going to do something fun and not even know it. <laughs> Goodness gracious. And so, and so I left the doctor's office. My brother was bringing my parents into town for a neurologist appointment. And so he was the last one in, went to the neurologist at 530. And then I took my parents to Hudson's for a good heart healthy meal. <laughs> it's crazy, wasn't it? Three pieces of fried chicken. <laughs> Today's going to be different. <laughs> the point is this. If our bodies are going to be able to resist this feeling of being overwhelmed, we've got to treat our bodies the way God wants us to treat our bodies. We're going to have to eat healthy. We're going to have to get the rest we need because if we're not and we're not constantly refueling ourselves 
we're going to have a tendency to get overwhelmed. Next, we've got to move on here. Here's the third thing. Keep moving. And I'm not telling you to keep moving. I'm just telling you we've got to keep moving. That's what you do. That's the point. Keep moving. You see, some of us have this idea that when we are overwhelmed, we stop everything. But that's not the right thing to do. I want you to listen to what it says in verses 8 and 9. So he got up, he ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Then he came to a cave where he spent the night. And so Elijah took this 40-day journey to the mountain of God because God told him to, even while he was overwhelmed. Now here's the point. Even while he was overwhelmed, he kept doing exactly what God told him to do. He kept moving. The worst thing that you can do in the world is to take a break from serving God when you're overwhelmed with the circumstances of life. And can I tell you, that's what most of us do. Our plate gets filled with junk, and instead of getting some of the junk off of our plate, one of the things that God has called us to do to serve Him we quit doing because we've got too much on our plate? Well, can I just tell you, get rid of some of the junk. If God has gifted you and God has called you and God has called every one of us to use the gifts, the abilities that he's given us to serve him and you start serving him because your plate is full and your life is overwhelming, do you think that's going to really help? You need to keep moving. Golly, I know. Have four kids. My kids are all grown. They're not here. I know. Even when my kids were growing up that you have sports and you have all kinds of extracurricular activities and you have church things and all of these things to take them to. But goodness gracious, look me in the face. If you've got so much on your plate with your kids and your life that you don't have time to serve God in his church, you're too busy with other things. And I'm here to warn you right now that it's coming. And life is going to smack you between the eyes and you're going to be overwhelmed unless you get it right. You need to keep moving. You need to keep serving God. Don't stop one of the things that is helping you re-energize and refuel and stay connected. So keep moving. Fourth, listen carefully. I'm not telling you to listen carefully right now. That's the point. Listen carefully. Listen to what it says in verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain, it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. And, and after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. 
Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Mehalah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Now, the reason I say listen carefully is because if we don't listen carefully, we're going to think that we hear God when we're not. Did you hear me? If we don't listen carefully to God, we're going to think we hear him when we're not. The first sound that came was this violent, powerful storm. Can God speak in a storm? Absolutely. The next thing that happened was an earthquake. Can God speak through an earthquake? Absolutely. The next thing was fire. Can God speak in a fire? He did with Moses, remember. But in each of these things that were powerful and, and overwhelming and, and created all, God didn't speak. It was the gentle whisper. It was the still, small voice where God spoke. Now, the point is, if we're not listening, we're going to have a tendency to think that God is speaking when he's not. Because there are a lot of voices out there. That's why the Bible says, test the Spirit to see whether it's from God. You see, if we're not listening carefully, we're going to be thrown by every wind and wave of doctrine and teaching that comes along. And I got to tell you, America is filled with that today. People that proclaim the name of Jesus, that call themselves Christians, that believe all kind of crazy things because they're not listening to the voice of God. Now, when we listen to the voice of God, understand God's not going to tell us what we want to hear. God's going to tell us what we need to hear. Uh, Elijah was having a pity party. God, they've killed every prophet in Israel. I'm the only one left, and they want to kill me. I mean, woe is me, God. But the truth of the matter is that wasn't true. The truth of the matter is there were 7,000 other prophets in Israel who had not bent their knee or kissed the statue of Baal. 7,000. Here was Elijah having his pity party. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. And there were 7,000 others. And oftentimes we sit back and we think, I'm all alone. I'm the only person that's trying to live for Jesus. I'm the only one being faithful. Woe is me. Stop it. That's what God is telling Elijah. Stop it. Stop it. He said, I've got work for you to do. Quit having a pity party and go do it. I want you to anoint this person to be king. I want you to anoint this person to be king. I want you to anoint Elijah. He's going to be, he's going to be next in line after you. I want you to prepare for when you're not here anymore. That's what he said. Quit moaning and groaning and 
telling me how bad you've got it. I'm on my throne. I haven't left this throne. Get up and do what I've told you to do. And so Elijah did. Fifth thing, enlist help. Listen to 19 through 21. So Elijah went, he found Elisha, son of Shaphath, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulder, and then walked away. When he threw his cloak over his shoulder, what that was saying is, I've chosen you to be the one to do what I'm doing. Put his mantle on him. Elisha left the ox and standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople. They all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. You see, God was saying, I hear you, Elijah. I, I know what you're going through. And as you go through this last stage of your journey, I'm going to have someone to walk with you in this journey. And what do we need to understand? We can't do it alone, can we? None of us can do it alone. That's why we need the church. That's why we need a small group, a life group. That's why we need people who are our inner circle, who are there with us, walking with us, praying with us, lifting our hands up, helping us along the journey. And we've sometimes got to enlist that help because there are people who are willing and ready and eager to help, but they're not going to help until we ask for their help. Sometimes we've got to just come in and say, I need you. That's what Elijah did. Now, here's what I know. Life can be overwhelming, but we don't have to stay overwhelmed. Elijah didn't. You know what he did? He left, and he did exactly what God told him to do until God called him home. When God called him home, it was a ride. Elijah is one of two people in the Bible who never died. He, he went up to, to heaven in a flaming chariot. I'm thinking, God, you can bring one of those for me when you're ready for me. I mean, it's pretty awesome. Until God was ready for him to go home, he continued to stir faithfully. Did he have a season when he was overwhelmed? Absolutely. But he did these things, and the overwhelming feelings disappeared as he trusted God. Now look at me. I don't know what you're going through. Because some of you right now are going, but you don't know my situation, Rocky. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a wicked king and queen trying to kill you? That's right, you don't. Did you hear that prophetic word? You don't. None of you do. You're not in as bad a shape as Elijah. And I don't know what you're going through, but can I, can I be transparent with you? Can I be vulnerable for just a minute? I know what it's like to lose a kid. I know what it's like to lose a child. I know what it's like to sit with my father, who has been my hero my entire life, and know that there are times that he doesn't even know who I am. I, 
I know what it's like to have health issues. I know all of those things. And even though life can be overwhelming, I got to tell you, I refuse to be overwhelmed. That's my choice. I can let the peace of God that overwhelms me and passes my ability to understand guard my mind and my heart. I don't have to be overwhelmed because my God can overwhelm any circumstance. Amen? My God can overwhelm any situation. Amen? And if he can do that for me, he can do that for you. The only question is, are we going to let him? Because he's ready to. And let me tell you, if I've discovered this, and there's nothing special about me, spiritually, I'm such a failure. Oh gosh, I know what it's like to have that peace that passes understanding. Intellectually, man, I got to tell you, I don't feel like I understand a lot of stuff. But I understand that God will comfort me and walk with me and take care of me. And, and if it takes being a little intellectually slow to know that, I'd rather be intellectually slow any day than to know everything in the world and carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. See, whenever I get those weights, I give them to him. When I cast my cares on him, you know what he does? He casts his care on me. All the things that weight me down and overwhelm me, I give to him. And somehow, some way through the power of his spirit, he puts his care on me. And if he does that for me, <laughs> as messed up as I am, he'll do that for me. But you got to let him. So what is it that's overwhelming you? When we have our altar time this morning, here's what I want you to do. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at, there are things overwhelming you. Come to this altar and cast them on him. And leave them on him. Because he cares. And if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, and so what I'm talking about right now is foreign to you, then I want to beg you, when our altar time is given, come and take one of our pastors by the hand and say, hey, I want this Jesus who can give me peace. How do I find him? We'll tell you. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand and our altar is going to be open. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, this is your time. And I ask you right now to have your way in each and every one of our lives. Oh, Lord God, life can be overwhelming. And it seems like it's even becoming more overwhelming. But Lord, oh, thank you that you're the creator of heaven and earth. And there is nothing that overwhelms you. And oh, Lord God, I pray that you will work in the hearts and the lives and the minds of everyone here this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name.